Good morning. Good morning. If you weren't here earlier, uh, you may be wondering what's going on. This is Youth Sunday, where Impact Student Ministries gets to take over and lead uh, worship. And so we're so glad that you're here with us this morning. And one of the things that really speaks to us is media and is video. So I hope you enjoy that video. I love it. I think it's an incredible way of communicating the gospel. And I love his acronym, God Our Sins Paying Everyone Life. That's the gospel. Faith in Jesus alone, trusting in him alone, that he made a payment for our sins, something we could never do. And so this morning, we're going to be talking about the gospel. And if you have your Bibles, and I hope you do, you can turn to Galatians 6, 11 through 18. If you have the Reformation Study Bible, which we would love for you to get, it's what we use here at Ria Vista. It's page 1,702. And this morning, we're going to be looking at Paul's benediction to the Galatians. He wrote a letter to them, and he said all types of things. And he ends this letter with emphasizing everything he said in the letter and what he wants them to walk away with. And it's the gospel. Standing in the shadow of the cross, not in the shadow of other people or the shadow of worldly gain, but only in the cross. And so this morning, we're going to be looking at and asking ourselves the question, what is the gospel? Is it something that is just relevant to us the day that we become a Christian or the day that we had our eyes opened and we believe? Or is it something that's only relevant to us when we come here on Sunday morning? Or is it something that's supposed to be in every second of our day? Is it something that we're supposed to wake up in the morning and reclaim for our lives, that we would pray and ask God that it would influence every decision and action and thought that we make throughout the day? Because that is the nature of the gospel. It's the greatest paradox in human history. And it calls us not only to believe, but to be transformed by it. That we would be transformed by what we believe and what we read in this book. The good news that God has paid our sins and he's given us life. But I think the problem is, if you're honest with yourself, it's hard to live and to reclaim the gospel in your heart every single day. Whether it's through doubt or whether it's through skepticism or distraction, we kind of arrive at this place where we love God, we believe in God, we believe in the gospel, but we struggle with seeing it transform our everyday life. Because we're skeptical about things. Whether we're skeptical about biblical history and the way that God's acted, or we're, we're skeptical about the New Testament and some of the things that God asks of us, and he requires of us, and he says, hey, listen, if you believe this, this is how you should live. And maybe you've been someone that's asked this question or thought this before. Um, you hear it all the time. You say, well, my God wouldn't do that. Or my God wouldn't require this. Or my God wouldn't support that. And so what happens is we believe God's word. We believe what it says in this book. And then we have this, this, this gospel that has changed our lives. And we start to film this, this box around God with no edges because we don't want to get cut. And we make God into who we want him to be. Because we have a hard time understanding why he wants us to live like this, what this all means. Are you sure that's not just for their culture? How could God do these things? And what I'm not saying is there's not legitimate questions. There are. When I read the Old Testament, I have all types of questions. There's hard stuff. You know, the story of the flood. For some reason, we teach our little kids that. I don't understand why. God, you know, everyone is sinful except for one family, and God wipes everybody out. And I'm like, whoa, like that's 
kind of drastic. Are you sure that was necessary, God? And then you read stories like Sodom and Gomorrah, and this city is so wicked, and God is going to destroy it because it's so wicked. And there's this one family in there that's apparently righteous, but they're still pretty wicked. And then they, God pulls them out, and he says, don't look back at Sodom and Gomorrah while I'm destroying it. There's going to be bad things. And Lot's wife turns around and pillar of salt. I'm like, oh, like no second chances? Like, God, why, I don't understand why you're doing that. Or you read Exodus with Moses. And the people of God are rejecting God and they're turning from him and they're in sin. And God says, okay, no one's listening. No one's turning back to me. Here's the deal. Sons of Levi, you priest, take a sword, strap it to your side, walk to the other side of the city and back and kill everyone you see. Your neighbors, your friends, 3,000 people die. And you read that, it's in this book, and you're like, oh, I don't know if my God would do that. I don't know if I would have done things like that. And then the buzz topic right now is, would God send people to hell? Does he really send people that don't believe in Jesus and don't believe in the gospel? Does he really send them to hell forever? Or is it just like a little bit of punishment and then he annihilates them or maybe he brings them back into heaven and love wins, right? Is that true? We have all these questions that are racing around and I think they keep us from really engaging in the true God and who he is and kind of allowing ourselves to believe his word and to live it out. And it happens even in the New Testament. We believe the gospel. We see the apostles go out and change the world and they start to command us how to live and educate us and what it looks like to be a Christ follower and living for the kingdom of God. And they say things like, you know, you need to give 10% and more of all the hard-earned money that you have because God gave it to you in the first place. And you're like... I don't know about, is that just for that culture? Or? And then you read things like, you know, you're supposed to serve the poor and take care of the widows and the orphans, and that doesn't mean just support a ministry, but actually do it yourself. And you're like, whoa, that's going to take a lot of time, and that's kind of hard. And then you hear things like, you know, you need to be different than the world. You need to be set apart. People need to look at you and know that you're different. And well, it's kind of hard to do that, God. You know, my workplace, no one's a Christian, and my neighborhood, and my friends, and there's all these things that we're skeptical about, but we believe the gospel, the heart of the Bible, and we run to God with all these kind of, well, I don't know if my God would do that or require that of me. And I think what happens is it keeps us from really seeing the gospel transform our every single day life. And that's where we need to get, and that's where we're called to. So my prayer is this morning as we read Galatians 6, that we would humbly come before God and say, okay, God, If I believe one word in here, I better believe all of it. And I believe the gospel, and I know it's true. No one can no one can sway me from that. And I'm going to believe what your word says, and I'm going to let down my pride, which is a huge stumbling block, and my arrogance, and I'm going to say, I'm going to trust what you say. Because Paul tells us in Romans 9, right, God is the potter and we are the clay, and he makes us how he sees fit. But what happens is we love that. We love that God has made us unique and valuable and he loves us. But then we kind of say, well, I know you're the potter God and I'm the clay and there's supposed to be this distinction that I understand, but I have pretty good intellect and reasoning and I kind of know how to live, so I'm going to try to think that I know how to live better than you. And what I think that passage calls us to, and passages like Isaiah 55, 8 through 9, which says this, for my thoughts are not your thoughts, Neither are your ways my ways, for as high as the heavens are above the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts higher than your thoughts. There's this great gap and distinction between God the potter and us the clay, and his thoughts and his ways are way above ours. 
it causes us to humbly sit down and say, okay, maybe the God of the universe has a more developed sense of justice and satisfaction and joy and happiness than we do. And if we believe in this God, then we should believe in his word because we should know and trust humbly that it is better than what we think. And so my prayer is that this morning that we can remove any of those distractions or skepticisms or doubts that keep us, even when we hear on a Sunday morning or a Bible study, keep us from kind of diving all in. Because here's the truth. We're all here this morning because God did something we never would have thought to do. You're here this morning because you're either interested in the cross of Jesus Christ and the gospel, or you've been changed by it. I don't know about you, but I never would have thought that God would have required to send his only son to become a piece of clay like us, that was perfect and without blemish, that he would have to be tortured and spit upon and humiliated and crucified for us broken pieces of clay. And that he would then rise from the grave and offer us a relationship with the potter. I never would have thought that God would require that. I wouldn't have been my strategy. But God did that. That's the gospel. And if we believe that, we need to kind of say, okay, God, you do things that we don't understand. And it's hard for us to kind of fathom why you want this to happen. And why you want us to live like this. But we're going to trust you. And that's what Paul calls the Galatians to. In Galatians 6... 11 through 18. Read along with me. This is what he says. See with what large letters I am writing to you with my own hand. It is those who want to make a good showing in the flesh who would force you to be circumcised and only in order that they may not be persecuted for the cross of Christ. For even those who are circumcised do not themselves keep the law, but they desire to have you circumcised that they may boast in your flesh. But Far be it from me to boast except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ, by which the world has been crucified to me, and I to the world. For neither circumcision counts for anything, nor uncircumcision, but a new creation. And as for all who walk by this rule, peace and mercy be upon them, and upon the Israel of God. From now on, let no one cause me trouble, for I bear on my body the marks of Jesus, The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit, brothers. Amen. Paul says in the very beginning, he says, listen, I'm writing with such large letters. What that means is Paul, when he wrote his letters, he would write a lot of it, but he would use a scribe that would help formulate and write his letters. So Paul's saying, listen, you know I've had a scribe write some of this letter to you, but right now I'm picking up the pen and I'm writing with my own hand what I am saying to you in the benediction, because I want you to understand it. I want you to receive it and then to live it. It's really important, so I'm writing it. And he says, it is those who want to make a good showing in the flesh who would force you to be circumcised, and only in order that they may not be persecuted for the cross of Christ. Here's what was going on. You see this earlier in the letter. There's these false teachers and prophets that are coming to the the Christians, the Galatians, and they're saying, here's the deal. We, we know that you believe in Jesus, and that's great. We're cool with that. We believe in him too. But he's not enough. You also need to be circumcised. If you want to be a true Christian and really live life well and have God accept you and look favorably upon you, then Jesus plus circumcision equals true Christianity. 
And Paul says, listen, don't listen to them because the only reason that they're preaching circumcision is because they don't want to be persecuted. They want to live a comfortable life. They want to be the, the, the comfortable Christian that, that doesn't receive any persecution. Because in this time, if you're a Christian, you're pe- preaching Christ crucified, you are in a very dangerous situation. You're in a situation where somebody uh, can kill you at any moment. You're going to get slandered, outcasted, judged. I mean, most of the apostles died because of their faith. But if you preach circumcision, then you're okay. Because in this Roman society, they were okay with, with you know Jews and preaching circumcision. That was all good. Not a big deal. But this Christianity thing, this Jesus crucified thing, that's crazy. That brings revolt. That brings revolution. And we don't want any of that. So don't preach that. But preach this because it's politically correct. And it's tolerant. And you're not going to face any persecution like us. So Jesus, great. Cool with that. You know, what, what's good for you is good for you. But you got to get circumcised. Because then God will accept you, and you won't be persecuted, so it's even better. And he goes on, and Paul says, For even those who are circumcised do not themselves keep the law, but they desire to have you circumcised that they may boast in your flesh. Paul says, listen, it's not because they're really righteous people, and what they're trying to say is, listen, Jesus is great, but we want you to be really good. We want you to uphold the law, and the law tells us to be circumcised, so you need to do that. Because all these people understand... They can't uphold the law. They cannot keep it perfectly. That's why we need Jesus. That's why we have the gospel. And he says the reason they're doing this is not only to be comfortable and to not be persecuted, but they're doing it because they want to boast in your flesh. They want to boast in how many people they can persuade and conform to their lifestyle. They literally want to boast in how many people they can circumcise. So they have this lifestyle they've created. They have the, they had God, and maybe you know, most of them believe in Jesus and probably proclaim him. They form this little box that's comfortable with no persecution and no edges, and they want to boast in how many people they can bring over and make like them, avoiding persecution, comfortable lifestyle. And Paul says, don't do that. Don't listen to that. The gospel demands different of us. Don't listen to what they're saying. Because true Christianity is not based on performance. It's not based on what you can do. It's not based on how comfortable you can make your life and how other people can look at you. It's based on Jesus and Jesus crucified. These people are standing in the shadow of what they can gain and the approval of men and how comfortable and enjoyable their life will be. Well, Paul is going to say, don't do that. Here's the deal. But far be it from me to boast except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ. They boast in what they can gain and the comfort they can have and how people view them and their lack of persecution and in their own ego. And Paul says, I boast only in the cross. I boast only in the cross of Christ. And John Calvin, an amazing theologian, says that something here is more implied. He's saying that there's something that Paul is saying here to the Galatians and to us, and it's this. That where man's highest good exists, there is his glory. He says, the Galatians, not, I mean, the false teachers and prophets, their highest end, what is, what they seek after in worship, their highest good is the approval of men, a comfortable lifestyle, and lack of persecution. That's what they want. Fluff and puff up their own ego and live comfortably. Where I, and what I'm calling you to, 
is to boast and have your highest good only in the cross, only in what Jesus has done in the gospel. That's it. Nothing else. And that's what he says the difference is, because you've heard maybe the Christian uh, cliche before that the gospel is not just for those that are saved, but it's for you every day. And that's what Paul is trying to emphasize that, listen, this has to be your highest good every single day, because where your highest good is, that's what you'll live for. That's what you'll worship. They worship approval and status and comfort. Don't worship that. Worship the cross. And here it's important to note that Paul's not saying the resurrection doesn't matter or is not overlooking it, because if the resurrection ever happened, none of us would be here. We wouldn't even know Jesus existed. So the resurrection does not lead us away from the cross, but it points us right back to it and says, look what Jesus did. He really did make a payment for your sins. He really did purchase a relationship and life with God on the cross. And his blood really does cover you. It validates it. It brings us back to the cross. And so Paul says, which this is going to be hard for us to hear. He says, you boast in the cross. And then he says, by which the world has been crucified to me and died to the world. He says, you boast in the gospel. You boast in the cross. You stand in that shadow. And then guess what? You should crucify the world to yourself. Meaning who you used to be and what you used to seek after the comfort, the approval, the gain of the world. That should be killed to yourself. That should be thrown off. It is not to be anywhere in your life. It's, it's not to be evident in you. You are now a man and woman standing in the shadow of the cross. And here Paul uses the word crucifixion, which this is kind of interesting, I thought. In this time, they wouldn't use this word because it was kind of unmentionable. It wasn't politically correct to say crucifixion. So when they were hanging Christ on the cross or someone was crucified, they would say, Jesus was hung on the unlucky tree. They wouldn't say crucified. It's kind of like if you've ever seen Harry Potter or read the books, Voldemort, don't say Voldemort, he who shall not be named. Um, but Harry doesn't. He says Voldemort all the time. And what Paul is saying here is Paul is saying, I'm not going to be ashamed of the cross and of the crucifixion. I'm going to use the word. I'm not ashamed of my faith. I'm not ashamed of who I am. And I'm going to say, listen, I'm crucifying the world to me. I don't care if it's not politically correct to say that. I am not ashamed of the gospel, and the world has been crucified to me. And he's giving the Galatians here this new perspective how to look. If you stand in the shadow of the cross, and you boast in Jesus, and he is your highest good, and the gospel has transformed you, then you're to crucify the world to yourself. You're to throw off who you used to be. And this is hard for us, and it's hard for me. Because we really muddy this a lot in life. And we kind of want to justify what we do and how we act and how we live in these different situations. Because it's not easy to be different from the world. It's not easy to crucify the world to yourself. I mean, think of the language, crucify the world. It's not easy. You know, we muddy this maybe in the way that we do business. We muddy this maybe in the way that we run our relationships and our family. We muddy this in the way that we manage our money and spend our money. We muddy this maybe in the way that we spend our weekends and our Friday and Saturday nights. You know, are we crucifying the world to ourselves? We muddy this in the music we listen to and we're okay with. And we, I think, definitely muddy this in the, the TV shows we watch and the movies that we watch. And just as a side, um, one of the things I think is helpful in crucifying the world to yourself 
in regards to movies is if you have a smartphone, which a lot of you probably do, or you have internet access, which I hope every one of you does, um, you go to imdb.com, internetmoviedatabase.com, or you download the app, and check the printal code, before the printal content before you watch a movie, and ask yourself this question. Is watching this movie crucifying the world to myself, or is it just conforming? I.e., Hangover 2. Seriously. And I'm not, you know, I'm not someone that's saying, hey, don't ever watch a movie unless it's like the Ten Commandments or like Ben-Hur. You know, I'm not saying that. I'm not saying only listen to Way FM, and as long as they're Christian, then only listen. I'm not saying that. I'm not like that at all. I mean, I love music. I love film. I love TV. I have Netflix, and I watch a lot of movies on Netflix. I have... Um, I also, if you were at the spaghetti dinner, you know that I was made fun of a little bit because I have a slight obsession with techno music. Love it. Um, and I also have DVR, which is the best thing since air conditioning, because if it wasn't for DVR, how in the world would I be able to watch House Hunters and House Hunters International on HGTV? You know, I'm admitted. I'm not afraid of it. It's a great show. So I, I love mu- music. I love film. I love art, and I really do think music and film is art. But I think as Christians, we're called to make the distinction between what is art and what is filth. And when we crucify the world to ourselves, it's not us saying, I'm only going to do everything Christian, but it's us saying, what's the point of watching this? What's the point of listening? Is there any redemptive value in this at all? That's crucifying the world to yourself. And so these are the ways in which we muddy this. And so the gospel isn't transforming the way that we live every day because we're skeptical. I don't know, God, are you sure you don't want me to watch that or listen to Is that really what you're calling of me? Yes, he is. And then Paul goes on, he says, listen, for neither circumcision counts for anything nor uncircumcision, but a new creation. Paul's saying, I don't have a problem with circumcision. I actually, we see in Acts that Paul circumcised his protege, Timothy. He's saying, I don't have a problem with circumcision. I don't have a problem with uncircumcision. It doesn't matter. Neither one. But what matters is that you're a new creation. That when you believe the gospel and you stand in the shadow of the cross and you believe in Jesus, what happens is you're transformed, not outwardly, but inwardly. And you become someone new. And this language that Paul is using leads us to the pattern of Christ, right? Christ is crucified on the cross, he dies, and then he rises from the grave. And what does Paul call us to? He tells us to boast in the cross and to crucify the world to ourselves, our old self and our old desires, and then rise to a new creation, to a new creature with different things that we focus on, different values. And Paul Paul talks about this earlier in the book of Galatians, and he says this, For you are called to freedom, brother, only do not use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh, but through love serve one another. And he goes on to say, But I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. Here's who you used to be, he says. Now the works of the flesh are evident. Sexual immorality, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and things like these. I warn you as I warned you before that those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. And right after this, Paul says, you're to put on the fruit of the Spirit. 
Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, and self-control. He says, listen, that's who you used to be. That's what you're crucifying. That's what you're giving over. You're a new creation now, and this is how you're to live. This is how you're to act, and this is who you are to be every single day. Not just the day you become a Christian, not just when you come to church, but every day, this is how you're to live. And I love how he ends and he says, he gives us a blessing, and we love blessings. They're wonderful. He says, and as for all of you who walk by this rule, who boast in the cross and stand in that shadow and crucify the world to yourself, become a new creation, peace and mercy be upon them and upon the Israel of God. He he, he bestows peace and mercy on us. And I love this because just rest and think about what God provides. Peace. In the shadow of the cross, there's peace. God looks at you, and he's forgiven you of everything you've ever done. He loves you. You're a child of his. He says, if I'm for you, who can be against you? I mean, what peace comes in life when you know that the God of the universe is telling us how to live, and that if we live that way, there's peace? I mean, it's incredible peace. I would much rather adhere to what God says than what I think, because what I, what I do a lot of times ends in failure. But what he calls us to brings peace and mercy. And God has been teaching me this in spades lately. Um, we're going to Africa this summer. We're taking 23 students to Nairobi, Kenya. And it's been an incredible process. God has been teaching me faithfulness, uh, his faithfulness and his love in incredible ways. Just the outpouring of support at the spaghetti dinner and the 5K walk and everything we've done. It's just, it's been incredible. Our team is just blown away at what God's doing. And then, uh, God did something and, uh, it was a week of the finals, which I was like, God, that's not good timing. Um, I get a phone call and the phone call is, Hey, from the travel agent, Hey, we got a problem. I'm like, okay. Um, the airline we're flying wants 10,000 more dollars. And I'm like, uh, that's not possible. We don't have $10,000 more. We negotiated this contract, and now you're trying to tell us because of jet fuel, we have to pay $400 more per person. That's not going to happen. And so this airline, after all negotiations, won't budge. They won't do anything. So I'm sitting there not knowing what to do because I can't tell too many people. I'm afraid to freak out the parents like, hey, you know, we did all this fundraising, all this work, and now we don't have tickets. So we're going to raft over there. You know, I... I I didn't know what to do. So I'm trying as hard as I can. I'm talking to lawyers. You know, I'm trying to get advice. I'm trying to negotiate. They won't negotiate. They're in Turkey. I don't know. You know, it's hard. How do I talk to them? And then we're trying to find other flights. But when you have 27 people, it's not like, oh, I'll just jump on Delta. There's 27 seats. We're like, we're leaving in two weeks. You know, like, how is this going to happen? So I'm, I literally get to the point on a Tuesday. I asked some, some of the parents in here to pray that morning for this situation. And uh, I, I'm in my office, and I'm just like, after a week of trying, I'm like, God, I, I have nothing. I can't do it. I can't do it on my own. Ability. I've been trying to do it, and I've been trying to fix it, and I really feel like, what are you doing right now? I have, I've had no peace. I've not been able to sleep. And I sit there, and I'm like, God, you're going to have to do something, because right now I feel like we're not even going on this trip. And that day, I get a phone call, <laughs> and... Swiss Air opens up 27 seats on their plane, and we get to leave a day earlier, and we come back a day later, so we get two extra days in Kenya, and we have better travel times, a better airline, and we got money back. I'm like, 
what is going on. And so I tell you this story because Paul tells us, listen, if, if you stand in the shadow of the cross every single day and you come humbly that you, you have no ability and that you crucify the things of the world to yourself and part of that being pride and self-reliance, there's peace. And I didn't do that for a week and I had no peace. And it wasn't until I kind of got on my knees and said, okay, God, uh, you're going to have to do this, that any peace came at all and mercy for sure. So I tell you that because I, I think it's so important for us to understand that God really does bestow incredible peace when we just trust in him and we just live for him and we look at the cross every day when we wake up and say, God, it's all about your ability and I'm throwing off the old and I'm, I'm coming with the new. There's incredible peace and mercy. And he, and he says in the end there, because listen, you're the Israel of God. And I want that to sit just for a second, that you are a part of God's family. And you know, your other part in scripture says, listen, if, if a father will give good gifts to his children, how much more will the God of the universe give to you? If you're a son and a daughter of his. And yet what happens is we forget this and we think that it's going to be better if we live how we want to live and to do life the way that we want to do it. And I don't know if God would require that of me. No, our father's thoughts are better than ours. And his ways are better than our ways. And if we would just trust him and stand in the shadow of the cross, man, how much better? How much better is that that you're a child of God resting in that? And Paul ends and he says, From now on, let no one cause me trouble, for I bear on my body the marks of Jesus. And if you know Paul, Paul literally bore scars on his body from the persecution that he's gone through, the flogging, all the the hardship that he's been through. And I don't think what he's advocating is that every single one of us has to have physical scars for Jesus. Some of us will, and many do. But what he's saying is, my identity is in Christ. And so what is evident upon my body and who I am is Jesus and the cross. It's not myself. It's not my own gain and my own pride and what I can kind of achieve in the world. It's Jesus. So when you look at me, I hope that you see the scars on my body of Christ. And that's our call, that when people look and view us as men and women that stand in the shadow of the cross and have crucified the world to ourselves and risen a new creation, and we rest in peace that we're God's children, they would see Jesus on our bodies, on our life and how we live. And Paul ends this benediction and he says, The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit, brothers. Man, is that humbling. When you look at Paul and you see how he withstood all types of persecution and suffering, how he's able to resist all these worldly temptations and, and honestly say that he boasts in the cross and he's crucified the world to himself and he's a new creation. How did he do it? He was overwhelmed with the grace of God. The grace of God and the gospel was so incredible, there was nothing else worthy to live for at all. That is what Paul calls us to rest in, to think about. Look what Jesus did on the cross. Allow it to transform you. Because it should. That's the gospel. And that's where Paul stood, right there at the cross every day. And that's where we're called to stand as well. So let me pray for us. Lord, we thank you so much for the cross. We thank you for your gospel, that you have paid our sins and given us life. 
Lord, we pray that we would humbly come before you today, letting down our pride and our skepticism and our doubts, those things that push us away from you and help us not to justify the way we live, but help us to understand that if we believe one word of this great book, that we should believe it all. Allow us right now to rest in your grace, to understand that we're a son and daughter of the God of the universe, and that your sense of justice and happiness and joy and peace is a little bit more developed than ours, and that we should just trust your thoughts and your ways. We pray, Lord, that that would be true in our lives, that as we leave this place and go throughout our week, we'd wake up every day at the foot of the cross, just saying, God, use me, help me not to look at my own ability, but to look at yours, and may I bear the marks of Jesus on my body. We pray that in Jesus' name. Amen. I'm right now, the band is up, and we're going to play a song that's going to have a few elements that you're um, probably unfamiliar with in worship service, and that element is going to be a rap. And, uh, and a lot of people have a lot of uh, uh, skepticism about rap. They think it's unredeemed. There's nothing good that can come from it. A lot of uh, stereotypes. But rap really is modern-day poetry. If you read the book of Psalms, you know that David would love what's going on right now. And God has really gifted men and women with the gift of rhyming. And there's men like Lecrae who wrote this song with David Crowder who reads the same books we do, has the same theology we do, loves the same God that we do. And we would be missing out if we did not come before God and listen and appreciate what other men of the faith have done for us in understanding and responding in music to God and the gospel. So I'm not asking you to become a rap music fan. But I am asking you to understand that God loves when we praise him, and it doesn't matter how it looks, and that we should also come with the same heart, understand that we can be ministered to by the words of this song. May it help us respond to God's word this morning.